Greetings, everyone. Hope you're having an outstanding feast wherever you are. You know, as children grow up, quite often they begin to wonder what they're going to do later in life, whether they're young children or young adults. Uh, there's still that question, what am I going to do? What's, how am I going to be involved in the future? And uh, truthfully, it's something that often in America and other countries, we have a difficulty in helping young people make those decisions. But if I ask younger children, what would you like to do when you grow up? I'm sure I'd have a lot of different answers. I might have some answers like, well, I want to be a nurse or a fireman. Or there may even be a response like, I want to be an astronaut, something of that sort. But others, a little bit older, others in high school or college, will probably have more complex answers. Yet, even in college... Some might not yet know what they want to do with their future, what they want to do with the years ahead with their life. To some of our youth, the future may not look as bright as maybe one would like. Maybe job prospects for the moment in some areas might seem to be better. But we know for graduates of college, we know there's huge indebtedness now, kind of like carrying baggage with a person after even graduation. We know standard of livings have actually even shrunk in so many countries, especially in America, but other countries as well. When you consider the value of, of their dollar in the U.S., for example, has significantly decreased. There are numbers of dollars of income may be greater, but the actual purchasing power quite often is left, and often it's more difficult to have the typical family that we would like. In other words, a, a young person married and maybe in time with children and a wife helping at home with the children, raising those little minds, hopefully in the image of God. I think the answer to what one would like to do in the future, in this society, in Satan's world, is particularly difficult, sometimes stressing. We can look at what society offers or we can look at what God is offering, what God has prepared for them, for you. The world at large is not a happy place for young people. We know that tens of thousands of children in recent years have died in Syria. In recent years, past years, we've heard of mothers with little children facing starvation. We have to decide, in some cases, which child lives and which child dies incredibly difficult, challenging, let's say, decisions made. And some years ago, we saw the same thing happening in Kosovo, if many will remember that. Graphic examples, homes and memories of family life being destroyed, while families had been, in some cases, entire families exterminated. Makeshift torture chambers exhibited in some areas, discovered with unspeakable atrocities committed. There are even stories of little children separated from their parents, some never to be reunited again with their parents. To put it in real terms that you can identify with, I might ask our young people, what would it be like if your home was destroyed with all your possessions memories, photographs, and all the rest. At the same time, how forcefully would it impact you if also your father and your mother had been, had been killed, had been shot? What devastation that would impact you with. And yet, in Satan's world, it is a way of life. It is a reality in Satan's world, apart, that is, from the true God. I recently read in the newspaper the story of a nine-year-old boy who watched his 37-year-old mother shot to death in a car during an attempted bank robbery uh, outside of a bank. The mother and son were picking up the daughter from even a youth Bible study. A young boy tried to save his mother's life, but to no avail. Frantic efforts by the young boy, but of course it didn't accomplish it in this particular case. But as tragic as these things are, and we hear about it in the news, unfortunately, so often, we might say life goes on, and it's natural that your interests as children or teens or young adults are towards your friends, 
your family, your school, high school, or even college. And you know, that's all well and good as one grows up. But we can't be blind to the world out there, to Satan's world, what's going around and what is on the horizon. We know it's today it's like what was happening in the days of Noah, the corruption, the danger, and, of course, the difficulty in growing up in these years is so evident. So today, I'd like to spend a little bit of time looking at what the future holds for you, holds for all of us, and the choices that you have to make, that you can make, which will determine your very future. I'd like to especially speak to our young people, in some cases children or teens or even young adults as well. The title of the sermon, Choose an Awesome Future. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24 and beginning in verse 37. Matthew 24 and verse 37. And it speaks about that time uh, back in history, uh, we'll see, in verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, way back in that time when God decided to exterminate life because of the overwhelming evil and corruption in Satan's world, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man at that, that time frame that we're quickly approaching, it will be similar as far as the corruption and evil, uh, as far as the destruction. Verse 38, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were going about life like, like we all do, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. Verse 39, and did not know until the flood came, until that very evident time when the floods began, began to come, and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, verse 20, let's back up to verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world, until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days be shortened, no flesh should be saved, in other words, saved alive, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So speaking of a time we think of at its extreme, of actually World War III, a time of tremendous violence, even as in, to a degree, without the technology of the days of Noah, even more violent than World War I and World War II, today's weapons of mass destruction. Fortunately, you and I don't have to be caught napping of that time that Christ spoke of, that we see over the horizon of what mankind is going to actually bring upon itself. Let's also look at Joel in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2, giving us a little bit of a look at the future before Christ's intervention. Joel chapter 2. In verse 1, Joel 2, verse 1, Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. It will come suddenly. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains, a people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them. Now, this would be kind of the worst time in all human history, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like the swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots over mountaintops, they leap, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble. Like a strong people set in battle array. Finally, verse 6. Before them the people writhe in pain, and all the faces are drained of color. 
They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. You know, this describes, we think of it in type, uh, some of the things we've seen in Afghanistan already, in Iraq already, in Syria already. But this describes a time in the future that's a hundred times worse, or could I say a thousand times worse yet in the future. Total devastation, scorched earth. World War III may come upon this earth just like the flood in the days of Noah. And just suddenly, no one believed Noah's message in that day. And very few will believe our message of that cataclysmic crisis at the end of the age, before the kingdom of God. It seems, on the surface, kind of far-fetched to so many people. You know, they assume things will go on like they've always gone, gone on. We've always had wars and rumors of wars. But according to Scripture, the time will come when things are multiplied and magnified in intensity because of man's sin as far as man under Satan's influence. But, you know, I think in the context of all that, the really exciting thing is that every one of our young people, our teens, our young children, our young adults, they can be part of the solution, not part of the problem. The solution to this whole mess that we see on earth today, but building towards the end. You can begin that process of healing and restoring the earth now. You can be a part of that process even now in preparation. And where do you begin in that process? Well, it begins in your own life, in your own life now, this minute. God has plans for your life. The question is, will you choose an awesome future? You know, that's a choice. And we have to understand what God has in store for all of us. Will you choose an awesome future? Or will you go the way of the world? Notice I said, you must choose. In other words, you must make the choice between going the way of the world, like like 99% plus of those around you, and the awesome future of what God has in mind for you. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30, and we will begin in verse 19. Verse 19. Familiar scripture, but it's a challenge. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you. In other words, before you, you have a choice in this that I have set before you life and death. In other words, a real future. Life, ultimately even eternally, life and death, blessing and cursing. One can, one can bring blessings into their life to the extent they follow the great God and his plan. Blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. Make a choice that both you and your descendants may live. And as a result, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life. He's your potential life and the length of your days. And that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And speaking of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of course, we can re reference this to uh, the land of the kingdom of God. Eternal life, being part of the firstborn family, having a real career and a real future that God intends for you. Well, remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, I'll, I'll mention it. It speaks of children, of a converted parent or parents, of being not unclean, of being not spiritually separated from God or cut off from God, but actually having contact, having access to God. Scripture says, but now you are holy, speaking to children of converted parents. And you know, in God's sight, children of a converted member or members, 
who has God's Spirit, have direct access to God. They can tune into God and access God if they will. So God offers them an opportunity to become a child of God. And again, it is a choice, a choice we make at this time, an opportunity to become a literal member of the God family, to inherit the earth and eventually the rest of the universe. Years ago, some young people assumed, and some parents, that God was simply not calling our children. God was not calling the young people in our congregations. But now we know emphatically, we know that youth do have access to God. In that sense, they are called. If they choose, you have a choice to make. Let's look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. Acts 2 and verse 39. Now, Peter was speaking to those assembled on this day of Pentecost. And he made a statement here, speaking of those who have access to God. And there were three different categories here. And he said in verse 39, for the promise, that is the promise potentially of access to God, of being called by God, and potentially, if one responds, to receive God's Spirit. The promise is to you, that is, those who were assembled that day, and to your children, emphatically, to the children of those who were assembled, to the children of those who received God's Spirit, they automatically have access to God, if they choose. And, of course, Peter goes on to say, Third category, and to all who are far off down through the last 2,000 years, as many as the Lord our God will call. Most of you, young people, have direct access to the Internet. Direct access. But as you know, if you don't log on, nothing happens. If you have access, you must log on. You may also have direct access to the supreme creator of the universe. But if you never log on, nothing will happen. Kind of a similar parallel. Both examples, access to God and access to the Internet, must be initiated by you. It's your move. In other words, the Internet will not log on for you, and neither will God log on for you. If you have access to God, you must log on. As teens and even young adults, from God's perspective, the ball's in your court. You have a choice. And, of course, that choice is over a period of time. It's not just a moment in time. But it's your move, in other words, through your younger years. You can't expect some bolt out of the blue from God, kind of like a, a voice in the darkness from God, some kind of supernatural experience. If you have a converted parent... You have access to God. It's your move. Let's look at an example, an unusual example, in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1. 1 Samuel 3 and verse 1. And it speaks of Samuel as a young boy and his experience of being called by God. All of you have the same similar experience in a different way. You won't hear a voice, but God is calling you. You have access to him if you choose, if you respond. Now, the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation. In other words, in general, the word of God was not as evident as it is today within God's church. Uh, it, it is open. We can access it readily. In verse, in verse 2, and It came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, here I am. So Samuel responded 
in his own way. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I didn't call you. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. We see Samuel, and we see Eli, rather, responded to God, at least to what he heard. And he answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now, verse 7. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Eli had called the boy. And we find that uh, interesting uh, from a perspective. Eli instructed Samuel well. For all our young people, this has already occurred in your life. You haven't heard a voice, but you have access to God. In a sense, you're being called to that degree. You can respond to the Word of God. Or you can go the way of the world. The question is, how do you answer? The question is, how do you respond? And of course, for our young people today, generally, uh, that calling is not some sudden awareness, obviously not a voice, not some super type of religious feeling that some people are looking for, that God is drawing you, but it is the sure knowledge as expressed in the book of Acts. And and in Corinthians, that young people who have a converted parent or parents have access to God, to the creator of the universe, supreme ruler of the universe, if they choose. And since you have access to God, the process begins with you seeking God. You have to initiate it, you know, over your younger years, it's not just all at one moment in time. You know, and this is true for all of us who have already have God's Spirit. To draw closer to God, and of course for God to uh, draw us, we must draw closer to Him. It's still our move. If we want to be more in contact with God, we have to move closer to Him. James 4.8 tells us, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And this is true for our youth and our young people, our young adults. It's true for all of us. So this process always starts with you coming to the understanding that you really need God in your life. You want a better life. You want a better future. You want to be successful in the ways that count. And as you really begin to seek God, you look for and you want all the blessings that God has to offer, that God offers you as a result of obeying God and great blessings even in this life, including a future stable marriage with the right converted person, not just any person, but the right converted person whom God may choose for you. You begin with wanting God to help make all the major decisions in your life. You still have to work at it, but you ask God to be involved in decision-making, including a future career. In most cases, if you're a guy, or in the end, maybe the years as a mother with children, shaping little minds in God's image. What a challenge, incredible challenge. And really, deep down, you know God absolutely wants what's best for you. He always does. As we begin to seek Him, we know you might say, if we're on His side, He's on our side. He wants to see success and a real future. And you also come to see that you not only want all the blessings that God has to offer, but you want stability, you want peace of mind, you want an element of joy, even though it's a very extremely difficult world. You want to come to the conclusion that you want to be a part of the future. A part of the future. An answer to this world's problems. This awesome future 
as part of the family of God and enable you to enjoy life as, as no human being has ever enjoyed in this physical life. Of course, we're talking about being fully born into the family of God, being, being a leader in the family of God, firstborn in the kingdom of God. So you want to become one of the pioneers in that way of life that's soon going to encompass the entire earth. As in time, the earth is refurbished, the environment is cleaned up, and it will become far beyond what we've enjoyed in this day and age of pollution, of, of so much, well, we'll just say damage to the environment. It's going to be in an environment that, that will be so far superior to what we know now. How about the thought that some teams, or I might say some youth have had in the past, well, you know, I'd like to be part of that. I'd like to eventually be part of that, but I want to experience what the world has to offer first. You know, I want to go out there and learn the lessons for myself. I want to live it up a little bit and make my own share of mistakes and learn from them. I want to party with the world for a number of years, and eventually I'll come back to God. I'll change. I'll come back. And, of course, we know the story that Christ gave about the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. Now that, was, that may have been his thought at the time. Now Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. Christ gave this parable, verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons, kind of like two teenagers or two youth raised in the church. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. You might say that he totally lived it up in a carnal way of life in the world, thought he would enjoy himself. Maybe he thought he was deprived of having these kind of pleasures. Verse 14, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. We know that time's coming in America and other countries around the world as we get closer to the tribulation and the day of the Lord. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Kind of a lowly job, minimum wage job or less. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. You know, it, it was a tough life. Verse 17. But when he came to himself... You know, things begin to kind of dawn on him. He kind of blew it. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I'm out here in the world all by myself, and I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired, hired servants." And he came, and he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father said to him, saw him, and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So he did repent. He did return. He had at least enough awareness, enough heart to return. His father did receive him. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Bring out the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and the sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For my son, for this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to be merry. Now the assumption is, any one of, let's say, our young people can do the same thing. The assumption is they can live their life in the world for a while and return at a moment's notice, and everything is forgiven, and everything is like it was before. Well, in truth, 
if one has the heart to return, one certainly can be forgiven. They will always be accepted back. But there's still something lost in the transition. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. This was the faithful son who really didn't fully understand. Let's look at the outcome here. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a, a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. So he's saying basically, you know, here my wayward brother comes back and you celebrate with him and you've never, in effect, done that for me. Verse 30. But as soon as the son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with the harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Now we come to verse 31. This is kind of the key. And he said to him, Son, in other words, faithful son, you are always with me. You've always been with me these many years through growing up and stayed on course. And all that I have is yours. And, of course, he didn't say that to the younger son. He said, all that I have is yours. In other words, the younger son had kind of blown some of his potential in this analogy, some of his assets, some of his inheritance. Of course, we know we can always be forgiven when we return to God if we have that heart, but we lose some of the potential, some of the potential God has for us as far as being leadership in the family of God. And God will reward us in this life according to what we've done. There is benefit in always being faithful and not losing some of our potential by veering off into the world. There's so much more to be gained if we stay true and faithful. We learn God's way and we prove to ourselves that God's way of life works. For our young people who truly want their greatest opportunity, their greatest potential success during the next thousand years or so, beginning with the millennium and the return of Christ, you could be a representative of the ruling family of God on earth at that time. You could have all the honor and position, and yes, even wealth, even though wealth will not be used in the same way. It will be used to help rebuild the earth. It will be used to help build humanity in God's way of life and feeding them and guiding them in every way. And yet, more importantly, in one sense, you will have a totally fulfilling job for a thousand years, for starters, that no human being has ever had in this life. A total job satisfaction without being short of, of abilities and assets like time, like energy, like, well, physical assets. You will, you will inherit the earth you and their other members of the family of God, the firstborn, and the wealth of the earth will be used for the benefit of the future sons of God who are being trained during the millennium. You won't be short of assets like we are today. And it will be a thrilling time when you will be able to take a war-torn area like Iraq or Afghanistan or Syria, and you'll be able to help restructure that environment. You'll be able to help reroute those war-torn individuals, destitute in so many cases, and you will help establish peace. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 1. Speaking of that time, 61. Verse 1, Arise, 
shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. At that particular point in time, will now exist in a glorified state. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Verse 2, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. For the Lord will arise over you, those who will be resurrected or changed, and His glory will be seen upon you. Incredible blessing of being changed or resurrected. A very powerful spirit born Son of God. Verse 3, And the Gentiles shall come to your light, in other words, the nations of the world, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. You know, we're going to attract attention, that is, of human beings in general. Even human leaders of the earth will seek us out in time. Verse 5, Then you will see and become radiant, incredible, Excitement, and your heart shall swell with joy. Every single burden will be lifted from your life, whatever exists back then. But because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, in other words, the wealth of the nations, all the resources of the earth and the sea will be turned over to your use for the good of human beings of training them and teaching them in God's way of life. And you will be their local representative that they can clearly identify with. Verse 8. Who are, who are these who fly like a cloud and like doves to their, to their roosts? Sons and daughters, apparently, celebrating their resurrection. And have you have you ever wished that you could fly? You know, you know, like a bird. Ever had a dream that you could fly? Maybe you wake up and you try it and you can't. A little bit disappointing, but here you have a chance. Here you have reality. Finally, as an actual member of the family of God, you're ready to work changing the world. You're no longer chained to by gravity or the laws of physics. You're ready to function at the highest level possible. Isaiah 35, back a few chapters. Isaiah 35 and verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Verse 4. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, and there will be majority of earth the human beings after World War III will be in that category. Be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. And he will come and save you. You know, that's going to be our message as well. The powerful God, Jesus Christ, is in Jerusalem, as well as you and I. If we finish our course, we will save them under the direction of Jesus Christ, from starvation, from disease, from warfare, and all the evils of Satan's world. In Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 17. Jeremiah 30 verse 17. We read some of these scriptures that speak about the excitement that we can have as we help people, as we restore the earth, we're part of the, the answer. We're part of the solution under Jesus Christ, having been trained in this life, having made the decision to follow God rather than Satan's world. Jeremiah 30 and verse 17, For I, I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Eternal. We will be able to help in that process of restoring health in so many ways. Because they called you an outcast saying, this is Zion, no one, no one seeks her. God says, in effect, I will heal your wounds. Of course, that's going to apply to Israel, but it's also going to apply to every nation and every peoples on earth. There have been so many injured in warfare. 
There will be at that time so many injured in warfare during the various phases of World War III, sick and injured. And the citizens of so many cities and nations will say, finally, you have our attention. Where do we go from here? Show us the way. Isaiah 61. And an incredible excitement and opportunities that we're going to have a part in, that you can have a part in. Isaiah 61 and verse 4. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, cities devastated, and we're going to help direct the rebuilding of cities on a better scale, on a smaller scale, on a more livable scale. And they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair their ruined cities and build them in the right way. The desolations of many generations. Think how long it may take to rebuild cities that have been torn down or cities that you see today, even in Syria, if you think about what's happened in Syria recently. But you and I at that time will have virtually unlimited resources to finish the job. In other words, to construct cities on the scale that God intends, maybe small cities or villages without pollution, with with, without crime, without graffiti, without corruption in city governments on every level. Now, this will be an exciting time to be working with human beings. We have that opportunity. Let's look at Ezekiel 36 and verse 35. Beginning in verse 35. Ezekiel 36:35. So they will say, this land that was desolate, devastated by warfare, has become like the Garden of Eden. You know, much, much more beautiful than what we've ever seen on earth today, I'm sure. And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities, the inner cities, the bombed out cities, are now fortified and inhabited. In other words... They're peaceful places. They've been restructured as cities should be, not vast wastelands of crime and smog and pollution and graffiti and trash and all the rest. It's just like the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine the beauty of this new world in time? It's going to take a little bit of time. can't happen overnight, and we're going to oversee that development. We're going to oversee the lives of human, be- human beings who begin to have real solutions presented to them, beginning to stabilize their families as they begin to understand God's way. Cities no longer looking like blight, choked with smog and all the rest. And finally, Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to have a lot to do with their spiritual growth the opportunity to show them the truth, the way that brings peace and stability and happiness, security. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 9. And it states, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. And that's going to be true in Jerusalem, but it's going to be true worldwide. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And educating our citizens in God's way of life will become our number one priority, both formally and informally. And we're going to be able to teach. And in time, they will be sponges of the truth. When they finally realize it dawns on them, we actually do have something to offer, a better way of life, even physical health, potentially, but also eternal life. So for you and I, as part of the family of God, at that time, you will have the opportunity to visit the rest of the earth. When the environment is totally cleaned up, this planet will dazzle you. Obviously, we will be updated from time to time, I'm sure, in Jerusalem, 
will travel to Jerusalem, uh, not at, not crowded on, well, on airlines with very little leg room, but spiritually as Christ traveled in less than a day to the throne of God and back after his resurrection. You and I will be able to see other parts of the earth and even travel to Jerusalem and maybe be updated by Jesus Christ himself as far as his plans and things we need to know. The bottom line is you and I are going to enjoy life in the kingdom of God, the most thrilling, the most rewarding experience you could ever imagine. I'm talking about job fulfillment. I'm talking about no burnout, but continuous fulfillment and accomplishment. And as the years go by, you will have the excitement and the satisfaction of seeing other human beings, including potentially your own descendants, entering the family of God. That is in time as they're taught and trained in the way of life. And God will place so many under your loving guidance. And you'll be able to see them succeed. And you'll be able to be thrilled at their success, just as God is thrilled at our success to the extent we follow him as well. And you know, in time, eventually, way beyond rather the millennium and the second resurrection, God will allow you to help finish the creation. Romans chapter 8, thinking of further out yet. Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. Verse 19. A few verses here that Mr. Armstrong used to proclaim the most eye-opening scriptures in the Bible. Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. It states, For the earnest expectation of the creation, in other words, the, the entire creation, the universe, eagerly waits, kind of symbolically, just waiting and waiting and waiting, for the revealing of the sons of God. It's like the universe is waiting for something to follow that you and I are going to have a hand in. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility. We know this applies to the laws of thermodynamics. You know, all organized energy eventually disperses. We know people age, they die, mountains erode, they wear down, metal rusts, planets are bombarded, stars burn out. It's the way of the universe. The creation was subjected to futility, that's the futility, not willingly, but because of him, God, the great God, who subjected it in hope. In other words, the universe was created for a greater purpose from the beginning. The universe hasn't realized that hope yet, but it will. Under our involvement, as God says, we're going to liberate it. Verse 21, because the creation itself will be delivered. The entirety of the creation, the universe itself, and all the galaxies beyond imagination will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. My margin says decay. Again, this has to do with the laws of physics and thermodynamics. God says, in effect, through Paul, we're going to deliver it from that bondage of ongoing decay that is all part of the system, the laws of physics. Into, we're going to deliver it from that bondage, as current state, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So we're going to deliver it from that state. Basically, as we know, the entire universe of maybe a trillion galaxies, there's no life out there, at least physical life as we know it. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation, symbolically, groans and labors with birth pangs together unto now. The whole creation. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. You know, we're in the kind of the same mode. We're under the same laws of physics. We age. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves 
and our systems kind of malfunction at times as we get older, eagerly waiting for the properly rendered, the birth, the redemption of our body. And incredibly good news. God's going to give us the opportunity to finish His creation, whatever He has in mind, as He spreads His family through the galaxies, the increase of His government. There will be no end. We know the universe is continuing to expand. You know, God gives us that small view of our future. He doesn't tell us beyond that. We don't need to know beyond that. You know, He knows this should be good enough to motivate us to be one of a part of the future, to have a real career in the family of God. Well, so most everyone who has understanding would say, yeah, I want to be there. I want to be there. But the question is, how do you get there? How do you become part of that process? Well, remember, we may have access to God, but we must log on. We must log on or we will not be connected. We will not be part of the solution. Isaiah 55, speaking of that in a different different sense, Isaiah 55 and verse 6. It's a reminder in one sense, in different language, we must log on. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Seek the Lord... While you may be found, while he may be found, rather. In other words, seek God while you have the opportunity, while, while you, you have that, that awareness of the true God before one has lost truth. I think sometimes truth can even evaporate, almost like water on a hot sidewalk, if we're not seeking God, if we go our own way in the world. Seek the, the Lord while he may be found. Well, you have the heart and the ability to seek God. Call upon Him while He is near. While you're part of the church, while you're, you're connected to others who believe and who are converted, call upon God while He is near. And you can be part of the mix. God is telling us that we must seek God while we have the heart and the mind and the will to seek God. Let's look at verse 1. Ho, or hey, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. If you really want a better future, you really want to know God, you have to come. And you who have no money, and it doesn't take super intelligence or wealth, it doesn't take super abilities, superhero abilities, you who have no money, Come and buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. You know, we don't have really anything to buy this opportunity with. God gives it to us. God extends it to us if we respond. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? I mean, why would you think you might live it up in the world spending what funds you have for that which gives you no lasting future, no lasting career, ultimately, in the family of God. And your wages for what does not satisfy. You know, thrills in life can be exciting for a time, but they're soon gone, and we move on, and we wonder, is that all there is? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good. In other words, consume you know, in your heart, through your, your eyes, and consume what God offers you, the truth, the way of life. And let your soul, let your life, your way of life, delight itself in abundance. God is saying, in effect, that you can't have abundance. It doesn't mean for now primarily wealth, but it means a better way of life. It means better relationships, potentially a strong marriage, things that satisfy. In verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. It's a reminder again. It's our move. When God calls us, 
When God gives us access, we must respond. We have a choice to make. Climb your ear and come to me. Here and your, your life, your soul, shall live. You're going to have a better life than you would by far any other way. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. And that's an individual contract. We call it a new covenant. But it's an actual contract with God between you and the Creator. And God has certain components in the contract, and you do as well. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Well, we know David was promised eternal life, rulership over the nations of Israel, and we are promised much of the same, and eventually the universe. So God is telling us that we must, you must seek God while you have the time, while you have the heart, while you have the knowledge to seek God while he may be found. Many young people have left God and his church, and a few years God can't be found, basically because they've drifted so far from God's way of life, they've forgotten. Some of the truth that was once logical to them has drifted, can I say has evaporated, it no longer seems so, illo- so logical to them because they're not connected to God in any way. We know Solomon recognized that the answer to human happiness was to begin this process early. Let's look at Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, we'll see a little bit, a few verses here. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In verse 1, very interesting experience here of one who had probably the greatest access to material goods of anyone who ever lived, probably. And he learned some lessons. He drifted a while until apparently he returned to God in the end. Verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity, I will say, futility. Pleasure is not lasting. Here today, gone tomorrow. And Solomon was kind of like the Steve Jobs or the Bill Gates or the Jeff Bezos of his time. Wealthy. He could access almost anything he wanted to. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? In other words, in the long run, verse 3. And I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under the heaven all the days of their lives. Actually, Solomon apparently enjoyed some of the finest wines. Uh, He didn't become a, a drunk, apparently. He retained his wisdom. But he wanted to see... You know, that pleasure, some of the best, mostly, let's say, best and fullest wines, would that be the answer to life? Verse 4, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. So he built homes that would, or palaces, that would far surpass the quality of what we know today, incredibly so. And it mentions vineyards. He was able to, to build vineyards and have wineries to his own pleasure. I planted myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. And he continues on from there. He had an experiment where he could plant beautiful gardens. He had the assets, orchards, waterways. Other verses tell us about fountains. I think about Versailles. When I think about beautiful gardens, well-watered gardens, servants of all kinds, flocks and herds, some of the verses mentioned, filet mignon, chateaubriand, or whatever, whenever he desired, uh, herds of all sorts. And it says he gathered silver and gold and special treasures, and he had the finest entertainment at that time, live music always, not CDs or DVDs. Live music at the palace. 
at his command. Verse 10 kind of summarizes it. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. So he had the full experimentation. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Whatever he desired, he indulged. He had that opportunity. But you know, in the end, he found he began to be pointless and empty. He realized he would die after a few short years, and he would cease to exist, and his works eventually, and he, and he would be forgotten, and it would probably be given to another. It would probably ruin, let's say, his kingdom. And he began to think, you know, what's the point? Where's the satisfaction? Verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed, all was futility. Now, is it frustrating? It's not permanent. Our life is not permanent. Grasping for the wind, trying to build something, and he knew eventually it'd be torn down. There was no profit under the sun. And in verse 17, because of that experience, probably the greatest consumerism, the potential that ever existed. And it teaches us a lesson that just a, a time out in the world seeking our own pleasures ends up in this, verse 17. Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. I, he's saying I was frustrated for all his futility and grasping for the wind. Incredible example. Incredible example. Solomon had everything he could indulge in, and he realized it was frustrating. It wouldn't last. He would die. They're ultimately, at least seeking fulfillment in the world, was, it was no answer. I think it's such a supreme blessing to have this example included in the Bible to demonstrate that really if we indulge ourselves to the hilt out in the world or wherever, it doesn't bring lasting happiness. It doesn't bring satisfaction. We have to seek God. If we want fulfillment, if we want to seek the Creator, we're going to result in true, genuine happiness and fulfillment. And we're going to enjoy pleasures forevermore in the family of God, not just for a time or into, until a famine or until we die, but forevermore in the kingdom of God, in the family of God. So in conclusion, you have a choice. We all have a choice. You can be part of the problem on this planet, like everyone else, or you can be part of the solution. We can choose to ignore God and suffer the consequences of being on our own in this life, ultimately becoming frustrated in the outcome of our life. Or we can seek God early, enjoy all the blessings that God has to offer now and forever. In other words, the blessings in this physical life until Christ's return. Or, and the overwhelming blessings of being born into the family of God, being a very powerful spirit being, having eternal life, eternal projects, and I might say even eternal youth, where there is no aging or degeneration. Uh, we will continue to increase in knowledge and understanding and wisdom, and we will improve with time, not degenerate. What an, what an opportunity. What a blessing. Let's conclude again in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. I think a, a good summary for all of us who have access to God, who have been called. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. I call heaven and earth 
as witness today against you. In other words, for you, in front of you. That I have set before you, God says, life and death. Even eternal life or death. Blessing and cursing. All the good things that God has to offer or the problems we're going to run into by going the way of the world. Therefore, in other words, a logical conclusion. Choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that's part of the process, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life. In other words, he is your future. He is the only one that can offer you a tremendous future that doesn't end in, well, disharmony and sadness and emptiness and futility. So if you choose, if you make the right choice early, and remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, God will bring you an abundant life now and forever. Forever, not just for a few short years. It's your choice. Choose an awesome future.